أعوذ بالله من الشيطان الرجيم وكذلك نري إبراهيم ملكوت السماوات والأرض وليكون من الموقنين رب اشرح لي صدري ويسر لي أمري وحل العقدة من لساني يفقه قولي فالحمد لله والصلاة والسلام على رسول الله وعلى آله وصحبه أجمعين أما بعد الله عز وجل could have sent إبراهيم عليه السلام in any environment but Allah chose to make him the exclusive thinker that will that will think about Allah and question every thing, single person around him and is going to think differently from every single individual around him, starting from his own family. He's going to challenge the programming, the sociological programming, the familial programming that he was raised with because we, start, we tend to accept the things that we were raised with as true and we don't question them. And he's going to have to challenge all of that from the very get-go. It is an incredible thing that Allah did for a prophet. It's not just any prophet, it's Ibrahim alayhi salam. The foundation for all of our creed, all of all of our, like I was mentioning last time, that even the, the religion of Islam, one of its names in the Quran is, you know, Millata Ibrahim, Millata Ibrahim Hanifan. Like Allah Azza wa Jal associated his creed, his conclusions with Islam itself for the rest of us. Right? And then Allah chose to put him in this incredibly I mean, you can't think of a more un-Islamic environment. The ultimate crime against Allah is shirk. And he's in the hub of shirk. We don't have a lot of details about Azar. Uh, we, you know, the father that was mentioned by name in the last ayah that I talked to you about. We don't know a lot about him. The only information you can get that's a little bit detailed will come from Jewish sources. Because for the Jews, Ibrahim salam is actually a patriarchal figure. He's a, he's a fundamental figure. And they call themselves children of Ibrahim. There, his name is different. The name of the father is different. It's not Azar. And but what we do learn about him is that he was mainly in charge of you know carving out the idols. It's also not not far fetched to think that the main temple in their village or their society, the city, the ancient city of Ur in Babylon, modern day Iraq, uh, that that city was you know whatever main temple they had, the custodian of the main temple was in fact his father. So he's born in the temple environment. hes I want you to imagine when he's little, all he sees around him are, are people that are worshiping these gods, doing all of their services. You know, I was, uh, I had the opportunity to visit uh, Perlis, which is one of the smallest states in uh, Malaysia. And I had a, a really amazing uh, opportunity to travel with Tatuanku, the head of the state in Malaysia. And we, were, we went to deliver zakat to villagers. And one of the stops we made was actually to the minorities because they're majority Muslim. The minority is, is Buddhist. And we went to a Buddhist temple. And they, you know, the, the custodians of the temple actually gave us a tour of where they teach the children, where the, how they worship and all of that. And um, I've been in, in uh, you know, mushrik environments before, like, you know, idol worshiping environments. I've been in them before. And there's a certain feeling you get when you're there. There's a certain kind of, at least for me, there's a, you know, it hits you really hard. Um, but it was it was still a learning experience. And I wondered, and some of those kids, they're learning this stuff from childhood. They're raised there, like an orphanage. So they're just raised there, right? I have to, I want you to imagine that Ibrahim alayhi salam, 
our messenger, our, our father Ibrahim salam, is in that environment since he remembers being conscious. Like he, he grows up in that environment completely. The most normal thing to you is what you were raised with, right? That's the most normal thing to him. And Allah chose to put him there and then he starts questioning everything. Why would he do that? And then why would he call that the religion of our, you know, our religion is his religion. Why? Because Allah is telling us that we, unlike every other faith, every other tradition, every other creed, we cannot be believers because the surrounding is that of believers. Because we come from a believing family. Because we have a believing support system. That is not why we follow the religion of Ibrahim If we're truly loyal to Ibrahim each one of us has to have our own conviction. We have to be, we have to have our iman, not because it was passed down to us, but because we ourselves are on our own terms, absolutely clearly convinced of it. You know, heart and mind, we're absolutely convinced of it. And it has nothing to do with if there, if there was a million Muslims with us, a billion with us, or nobody with us, we'd still be Muslim. And that's the first lesson that we're being taught. We're not swayed by the, the, the societal forces around us, which is absolutely miraculous. It's absolutely incredible that Allah did that. You know, in, in, in our times, obviously, so much of the world is moving away from religion, not just Islam, from religion altogether. But especially Islam too. And that's happening even in the Muslim world. I mean, you know, I went to some Muslim countries that shall not be named. They had bigger Christmas trees than I've ever seen anywhere in America. Right? And that's in the, that's in the Muslim world. So, the, you know, the, the, the idea that Islam is a normal part of life, everyday life, is now shrinking away. In fact, for many people that are in Muslim families, the vast majority of your family... Uh, with, with exceptions, the majority of your family doesn't look like Islam is a big part of their life. There are, there are families that are having debates about whether or not drinking is okay at Eid. I think that's normal. That's not, it's, it's, I'm not complaining about that. I want you to realize that the, what, what is considered the fundamentals of our deen are now becoming more and more rare. Right? So instead of whining about that, I want you to realize the reality first. Like, take, take, a, take a stock of reality first. Now, in that reality, we feel, the Muslim feels, man, I just want to go to an Islamic environment so that I can be safe. Right? If I'm just in a good environment, then my iman will be safe. Right? And there is some truth to that argument. We do need some kind of a support system. But there's a bigger truth. And you know what that bigger truth is? Your environment becomes irrelevant when you are truly the followers of the religion of your father, Ibrahim. It truly becomes irrelevant. Like it doesn't matter anymore whether you're, you're, you're living in Las Vegas or you're living in Kuala Lumpur or you're living in Mecca. Your connection to Allah is not determined by your environment. Allah Azawajal says in Surah Al-Ankabut, He said, Ya ibadi alladhina amanu, inna ardi wasi'atun fa'abudun. My servants, my slaves who believe my earth is vast. Worship only and only me. Why would he say, Inna ardi wasi'atun? My, my, my earth is vast. Because not everybody can move to Medina, can they? Not everybody can move to Mecca. And by the way, back in, when these ayat were being revealed, Medina wasn't exactly an Islamic environment. In fact, even when the Prophet ﷺ moved to Medina, for the majority of the time, Medina was actually a pretty hostile environment. And there were the kinds of things that were commonplace in Medina, like alcohol, like prostitution, other things that were a common part of Medinan life. 
if you study the seerah and you study the context of the revelation of certain surahs like surah an-nur you'll think wow this is, Medina was a crazy place this was not we think of it as al-munawwara you know we think of al-masjid al-nabawi and the sounds and the birds flying and everybody's doing sajda and we've got this picture in our head of what Medina is now but this is now this was a different place back then now I want you to realize that, that these first words that Allah gave us when He challenged His father, when He challenged His entire society, He left a legacy behind, alayhi salam. He left a legacy behind of us not being the followers of society. Of course, when society does something right, we follow along with it. You know, and the norms of society are completely fine. But the morality and the way I see the world, what I see as right and wrong, you know, what I see as my purpose and my goal in life, I can't copy that from anybody else. I cannot copy it from anybody else. Now those, that thing is easier said than done. When he challenged, the, you, know, you could have these views and never be, you're too scared to express them. But he does express them. And the, where I left you off was, how, does he, how in the world does he get the courage to do this? And so Allah says, وَكَذَلِكَ نُرِي إِبْرَاهِيمَ مَلَكُوتَ السَّمَاوَاتِ وَالْأَرْضِ وَلِيَكُونَ مِنَ الْمُقِنِينَ This is one of those ayat that like, you can read the translation. But it'll leave you with questions. Like it, it, Allah deliberately put a question in everybody's mind who actually thoughtfully reads this ayah. Listen to the translation. I'll br first briefly translate. There's a few things that just pop out in your head, like what's going on here. First thing, he says, وَكَذَلِكَ نُرِي إِبْرَاهِيم And that is how we show Ibrahim. Not we showed, we show. Now the first phrase was, and that is how we show Ibrahim. مَلَكُوتَ السَّمَاوَاتِ وَالْأَرْضِ the remarkable kingdom and governance of the skies and the earth. And that, I'll start over. And that is how we show Ibrahim the remarkable kingdom of the skies and the earth. And so that he may become from those that are absolutely convinced. It seems very ambiguous. What, what's going on here? The, the first phrase is where I got, I got locked up. And that is how. And that is how. You know, first you say, okay, he had a journey, he reached a conviction, and then at the end of it you could say, and that is how Allah showed him, right? But the ayah before was what? He challenged his father, he challenged his society, he said, are you seriously taking these idols as gods? And the next ayah says, and that is how we showed him the kingdom of the skies and the earth. What is the connection between these two things? In fact, the connection is remarkable. You know, what you believe... What, and I pray I'm able to give clarity to you in this and myself. What you believe can just be an idea. It could just be a thought that you have. But you don't live by what you believe. You, and you see the contradiction against your belief all the time and it doesn't bother you. And you just go along even though you don't believe in it. There's everyday example. You don't believe that the certain kinds of conversations that your friends had have at work the kinds of comments they make with each other, the kinds of conversations they have over lunch break, you're bothered by it, but you're still sitting there. And you don't say anything because you want to stir any trouble, right? Or they're inviting you to the office party or whatever it is. And you're like, it's going to be bad if I don't go. I don't like that environment. I don't believe in that environment. But you know what? I got I to gotta play the game. If you want to move up, move on ahead, you got to learn to play the game. So I'm going to go, even though astaghfirullah, I'm going to be in a corner, right? So the idea is you can believe something but that doesn't mean it's manifesting in the way you take a stand. Those are two separate things. If Allah instilled in Ibrahim السلام, that the king of all kings, the owner of all things is Allah. The skies and the earth are being governed by Allah. 
the moon and the sun are being governed by Allah. Every leaf falling from every tree is being governed by Allah. Controlled with every wave that it falls under and where exactly it's going to fall. This is recorded by Allah, controlled by Allah, governed by Allah. And when you internalize that philosophically, that sounds like really psychedelic, it's really cool. Wow, everything's controlled by Allah. But he realized something. You know what that means? If everything is controlled by Allah, then I don't have to succumb to the authority of anyone else. Because if the entire universe is under his authority, then I don't have to be the, afraid of the authority of my culture, of my society, of even my father, of whatever structure there is. I don't have to be afraid of it. I only have to be afraid of him. I have to surrender to that king in everything, in everything that I say, in everything that I do. And the first demonstration of that was him challenging his father. And actually challenging when that, that king of kings is being denied, is being rejected by these false gods. We, I, I've talked about this in other places, but I want to remind you that, that you know, shirk isn't just a crime against Allah. There's a reason for doing shirk. And the people who invent shirk, the people who invent the machinery, they put up the temples and the whatever, you know, that entire... The, the mythologies, they have their own objectives and the followers, the blind followers, they have their own objectives. They're two different objectives. So the people who set these things up, you know what their objective is? To get money out of people and to get control out of people. Because they use religion as a means of mass control. That's why historically many religious societies outside of Islam, religious societies, they were funded by kings or governments. So you know what used to happen? You go to these priests, you go to these, these you know, pundits, whoever, and you get your blessings from them, you get your prayers answered for them, and the king is funding you, allowing you to teach this stuff, because the king only wants influence for himself. So why would he allow for religious influence? Because the religious influence will say, you have to show loyalty to the king, because the king is blessed by the gods. Right? So they, they, there was a backdoor connection between religious institutions and governments all the time. The, the, the Catholic Church and the Roman Empire are a really good example of that. Even the Fara'ina and his priests are a good example of that. The religious institutions are backed by power. And all of that is a means of keeping people under control. And by the way, when governments are oppressive, right? When governments oppress people, people want to have a rebellion, don't they? Like, we had enough. We're going to overthrow the king. But then the, the religious institution comes along and says, no, 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 just pray and do this, 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 and your problem will go away. away and the next year you'll get more, more rain and you'll get more crop. We'll solve your problems. You're having problems with oppression? No, that's just because you didn't do enough worship. So you don't question the king. So the religious institutions became a way of controlling the masses. So now when someone questions those machineries of shirk, when someone questions that, they're not just questioning an ideology. They're questioning an entire economic system, an entire political system that can be shaken when you question it. And when you, when you question that, when you come after powerful people, powerful people come after you. It's not a small thing that people said, throw Ibrahim salam into a fire. You know, just cast him into a fire. That, that's later on, but there, there's a reason that happened. Even in the seerah of the Prophet Again, as a good review for you, he's repeating the legacy of Ibrahim When he was questioning the idols of Makkah, if you get rid of the idols of Makkah, what's going to happen? What's going to happen? All the tribes of Arabia are not going to come here. Because all of their idols were kept at the Haram. If they don't come here, then they lose their tourism money. Right? It was religious tourism. They're going to lose their money. You can't get rid of these idols, even if we don't believe in them. we got to keep them because all these tribes 
are, we're going to lose it. And then on top of that, if you destroy these idols, you have offended those tribes. And those tribes, when you travel, they don't rob you because you got their gods at, at the home base. But if you get rid of these idols, then they're going to say, man, he got rid of our, our favorite one, the big purple one. And that one, you know, the, 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 the other, and they're, they're going to take revenge. And then the rihlata shita'i wa saif is done, it's finished. So politically, political suicide, economic suicide. The real gods of the, the, the elite, the real gods were not the idols. The real gods were the money and the power that came through the idols. And you've got to be able to see through that. And this is actually about malakut. They wanted malakut from themselves, for themselves. Right? They want malakut from, for themselves. Remarkably in this ayah, and this is how, and that is how we show Ibrahim alayhi salam the malakut of the skies and the earth, the remarkable kingdom of the skies and the earth. Behind the machinery of shirk was actually also a pursuit of power and wealth. And he, he acknowledges that all belonging, Lillahi khazainu samawati wal ard. Allah alone owns the treasures of the skies and the earth. Allah alone owns the kingdom of the skies and the earth. And that is what makes him challenge. That's the first proof of his iman, that he was ready to challenge that. So Allah says, and that is how we showed him. The word malakut is actually a, a, a strange word of the Arabic language. Um, there's one narration of Ibn Abbas عنhuma, which even suggests that this word might be borrowed from the Nabataean language, the Nabat. You know, um, and it, it used to mean, you know, great amounts of kingdom. So milk and mulk are found in the Arabic language, but malakut, like jabarut, and you know, habarut, uh, there are different kinds of words that have this pattern. The, the wow and the ta are used from mubalagha, so the incredible kingdoms of the skies and the earth. This ayah also led to some interesting opinions that don't have much of a basis, but people you know, looked at it literally. I'll share with you the opinion that I find most convincing. Some people use this ayah to say, oh Allah showed Ibrahim alayhi salam, he had him go through intergalactic travel and showed him the skies, like showed him all the skies, and he showed him the entire earth. So Ibrahim saw the entire universe and that's how Allah did that for him. But that doesn't add up with the rest of what's happening in the passage. And it also violates some basic common sense principles of the Arabic language like Al-Alusi rahimahullah points out. And I'm going to read that to you in a second. So actually let me read that to you now. What he's saying is, this is a, a form of isti'ara. Isti'ara is a concept in the Arabic language. Let me just briefly explain that concept to you because it's important for this ayah and important in understanding Ibrahim Isti'ara literally means borrowing in Arabic. So asti'iru, I borrow something. Asti'iru shay'an. Now in every language, we sometimes we, we, words have a meaning in the dictionary, right? But when we talk to each other, we use that same word, but we don't use it for the word that it means in the dictionary. I'm going to give you a simple example. If I say, for example, man, that guy, he was a lion on the basketball court. He was a beast on the basketball court. He was a beast. I'm lion is outdated. Beast. Okay. Let's be contemporary. Man, that guy was a beast. You should have seen him. Well, the thing is, the word beast in the dictionary absolutely does not refer to an athlete that's holding a basketball, wearing a jersey, wearing sneakers. A beast is an animal, right? You borrowed that word to bring to mind a creature that dominates his space, like a lion, a tiger, a gator, whatever, and nobody comes near him and every, everybody's threatened by him and he dominates that space. So what do you do? You take the word beast 
and you borrow it and you use it somewhere where the dictionary says, no, 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 that doesn't belong here. But what you did in English there at that time was isti'ara. That's actually called isti'ara. And this is a common feature of many languages. And it's obvious. It's not some rocket science thing. It's obvious. So isti'ara is being used in this ayah. When Allah says, Allah showed Ibrahim the kingdom of the skies and the earth. It's not literally he showed him the entire kingdom of all the skies and all the earth. But actually, what is behind the skies and the earth, the actual kingdom behind him, he made him realize it. That's what this is saying. He made him realize the actual kingdom of the skies and the earth. So showing him is being borrowed as if he was so clear about the real king of kings, as if he can see him. So that's why the isti'ara is being used. That's why the word nuri is being used. It highlights that. But then the other thing that, that hits me really hard is Allah said, I remember I highlighted, he, he didn't say he showed him, he said he shows him. وَكَذَلِكَ nuri Ibrahim. We show him, not showed him. But that happened a long time ago. Why is he using the present tense? The Nahwiyun can say there's a kunna mahdhuf here. But that doesn't, that's a technicality I won't go into right now. But I'll tell you what, what this is. And I'll, I'll read off of Imam al Alusi who talked about this beautifully. And the obvious was that it should have been arayna. We showed him in the past tense. Except Allah used the future tense or present tense. We show him and we'll continue to show him. Actually, this is a technique used in the Arabic language to talk about something that happened a long time ago, but you want your listener to feel like it's happening right now. I'll listen to that again. When, it's, when, I, when somebody's talking about something that happened a long time ago, but they want you to feel like what? It's happening right now. By the way, this is not some crazy ancient abstract Arabic thing. This happens all the time. It's okay. It's okay. It's, it's had a long day. Seeing the malakut is Anyway, so the you know a good storyteller is talking about the ancient king, and he says he takes his sword out and he moves forward, and he doesn't say he moved forward. He says what? He moves forward, and people that are listening are like, then what happens? Well, it already happened a long time ago. But in your mind, you travel to that place. Your imagination took you there. Allah Azza wa wants, with this part of Ibrahim alayhi description, He wants us to visualize this happening. He wants us to be there. And He uses nuri for that purpose. He says He shows him the great kingdom of the skies and the earth. Tie this back to the previous ayah. He shows him that Allah is the real king. And that's what makes him question his own father. That's what makes him question his own, you know, his own nation. He truly internalized the kingdom of Allah. The kingdom of Allah Azza wa Jal. كَذَلِكَ نُرِي إِبْرَاهِيمَ مَلَكُوتَ السَّمَوَاتِ وَالْأَرْضِ وَلِيَكُونَ مِنَ الْمُقِينَ It's okay, let him be. It's okay. It's okay. وَلِيَكُونَ مِنَ الْمُقِينِ So that he may be from those that are absolutely convinced. Now this is an interesting thing. Um, Amin Ahsan Islahi in his tafsir of this ayah said something really cool. He said, well, what's happening here is Allah showed him Allah is the king of kings so he could show it to his people. So he could question his people. But on top of all of that, there was something else. He himself needs to challenge and be challenged because that will make him truly convinced. Like, you don't really know how convinced you are until you are what? Challenged. You have to be ready for a challenge. You can't be in a protective environment. 
you have to be ready. And you know, the, 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 Quran, the Quranic concept of truth came and falsehood has disappeared. We, because of these ayat, this is so impactful, you and I have to be so strong in why we're Muslim. We have to be so deeply rooted. And why do I believe this to be true? Why do I believe in the existence of a God? Why do I believe that God sent messengers? Why do I believe these messengers are actually representing God directly? Why don't I believe that they're liars? Why do I believe that the Quran, now in my case, why do I believe that the Quran is cannot be human? It cannot be human. It has to be from Allah. The same Allah that created the skies and the earth. And that's why when I want to show my, rever my reverence for the king of all kings, for the master of all creation, then I will have this awe for when I'm reading his words. Why should I have that? I need to have absolute conviction. I cannot be Muslim culture. I can't afford to be Muslim culturally then. Not in the religion of Ibrahim Others, you can, you can be Christian culturally. You can be a civilizational Christian. You can be a civilizational Jew. You can be a civilizational Hindu. You can be a civilizational anything else. But a Muslim, if he, real, if he or she realizes they are followers of the religion of Ibrahim they have to deepen, deepen their convictions. And that will give them a bravery. They're not going to want to be like anybody else. And that's the last thing I'm going to share with you. <laughs> that's okay, let it be. So, oh, it's getting louder and louder though. <laughs> it's embarrassing. Sorry. Young man. Yeah, man, he's so sweet. Yeah, just go, just get, get him. It's okay. It happened. It's, it's Ramadan. Yeah. yeah. It's not because I'm boring, okay? It's not. It's not. <laughs> 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 That's what I tell myself. <laughs> this is a reinforcement. Of, actually, that reminds me of a, of a friend of mine. I have to do this demonstration now. I can't help it. Um, I'm giving a lecture back in New York, and this brother sitting right here, he's at least 10 feet away. He was two feet away. He was right here. And he was sitting up here like this, listening to me, listening to me, listening to me. And then he went like this on the ground a little bit. And then he went like this. And a few minutes later, he was like laid out flat like this, right? And then he's like this. He's still making eye contact at least. And then eventually he goes, and it was so loud I couldn't even hear myself. <laughs> like that was the it was like you know those evolution charts. <laughs> it was like a the uh, the the fall of a believer in the halak. It was amazing. Some of you, the only reason you're sitting up in a khutbah is because there's a person next to you holding you up like a domino. Like if you were in a row by yourself, you'd be flat out. <laughs> That's okay. <laughs> But anyway, coming back to the ayah. So he himself may be from those that are convinced. He had to be convinced himself. He had to see the falsehood of all else so that Islam could shine. He had to question everything he was raised with. That's not an easy thing to do. That is not an easy thing to do. And yet that is what Ibrahim was called upon. You know, the implications of this are very powerful. Like, you know, the, the, the Jewish people, for example, with the, which the Qur'an talks about quite a bit, the, the sons of Israel, the children of Israel, they were given a book of Allah, they were given Torah. Qur'an says they made changes to it. And they lost the original teachings. And they mixed a lot of their cultural practices, a lot of their precedents, on top of what they were given. And this, the, what they had now was a mutation between what Allah gave and what they themselves mixed in with it. Right? 
But that's not how they saw it. They saw it as all of this is what Allah says. This is the right way. So if anybody came and questioned that, then they were kafir to them. Basically, because what they have, they believe to be absolutely true. So anybody challenging that would be a kafir. And this got to the extreme where They were killing prophets without justification, what the Quran says. This is why they came after Isa alayhi salam. Because he was giving them Torah and Injil. So the Torah that they already have, they're scholars in it. Isa salam is giving them the original Torah again. You know what that does? Isa salam puts himself in the same position that Ibrahim salam had put himself in. He's alone, by himself, speaking the truth. He's not afraid of who's going to come after him. He's going to just say what he has to say. He's going to challenge every, you know, uh, everyone on it. You have to understand when Rasul relives the legacy of Ibrahim salam. On the one hand, he's challenging the mushrikun who are idol worshippers like the father of Ibrahim and his nation. And he, they were ready to kill him. And Ibrahim, Rasul's people were ready to kill him. And they, he expelled he expelled Ibrahim salam, and people of Mecca expelled Rasul salam, right? On the on the next in the next phase, there's people that are arguing with him because they feel they know better. They're the people of knowledge, scholarship, books, and Rasul salam, is a Nabi al Ummi, right? And you could challenge somebody who knows less, like the people of Mecca, but the people of Medina, the people of the book, they knew more. They know way more history. They know they've got way more scholarship, right? Who are you to challenge us, right? So what's going to happen in our times? There's going to be people that come and challenge you that know less than you, and they will intimidate you. They will say, "Follow our way. We don't have to give you a justification. It's not knowledge. You better do what I say. That's it. My word is final." That's going to be like the father of Ibrahim salam. But then there's going to be other people that will come to you and use what they think is intellectual arguments. And they'll make you feel stupid. And then you'll feel like, I don't have an answer for that. That must mean they're right. You know, intimidate you based on your lack of credentials, your lack of knowledge. And you know what? That's a pretty powerful weapon. But what did Allah give our Messenger? He empowered him with Quran. He empowered him with the Quran. So when Allah gave Ibrahim alayhi salam, he showed him Malakut al-Samawati wal What did Allah show us? Allah showed us also Malakut al-Samawati wal but by way of the Qur'an. By the way, what does the Qur'an keep asking us to contemplate? From the beginning. Reflect on the skies and the earth. How many times you heard that? Right? Contemplate the skies and the earth. Over and over again. You know? All of that is actually what? A repeat of what Ibrahim went through himself. He, he, he's the one who, who looked at everything and saw a contradiction between what he sees and what is behind it. That singular entity that's behind it, Allah and what he sees his culture doing, his family, his society doing. That's the power of Ibrahim to see the truth through all else. And so كَذَلِكَ نُرِي إِبْرَاهِيمَ مَلَكُوتَ السَّمَوَاتِ وَالْأَرْضِ وَلِيَكُونَ مِنَ الْمُوْقِنِينَ So he himself could be from those that are absolutely convinced. This is the last thing I'll share with you. This is a little bit philosophical, but it's important. We believe that we, the only way you can truly be convinced of Islam is if you are convinced of the miracles of the Qur'an. We, there's a new kind of thing. If, unless you don't know the, Quran, the miracles of the Qur'an, then you can't really be sure that Islam is the truth, right? There's a, the conviction in Allah, the belief in Allah that Ibrahim had, 
and the belief in Allah that the Quran itself calls for is actually making a claim. It's saying any human being that genuinely contemplates the skies and the earth, genuinely contemplates this vast universe, and truly contemplates it, will have no choice but be left with believing in Allah. If they genuinely contemplate it. That's actually the Qur'an's claim. The Qur'an's claim is not, come first, you know, listen to the ayat, then you'll come to know that there's a God. No, the Qur'an is not saying that the Qur'an has the proof of God's existence. The Qur'an is actually saying, the world around you has the proof of God's existence. In surahs like Al-Dukhan, or Al-Jafiya, or Al-Ahqaf, إِنَّ فِي السَّمَوَاتِ وَالْأَرْضِ لَآيَاتٍ لِلْمُؤْمِنِينَ What? For the, in the skies and the earth, there are plenty of miraculous signs for people that want conviction, for, for people of conviction. There's no mention of revelation. There's no mention of a prophet convincing you. Nothing. In fact, if you're truly a student of the Qur'an, you'll realize for the, pretty much across the Qur'an, Allah is not arguing whether or not He exists. That's not what He's arguing. That's already, even the first, first surah after the Fatiha and the Mus'haf order, the doubt isn't about whether Allah exists or not. The doubt is in what? Whether the Qur'an is the word of Allah or not. ذَلِكَ الْكِتَابُ لَا رَيْبَ فِيهِ Not ذَلِكَ الْإِلَاهُ لَا رَيْبَ فِيهِ Right? The Fatiha doesn't go on to prove Allah's existence. It already assumes Allah's existence. Alhamdulillahi Rabbil Alameen. And if Allah does challenge, He says, how can there be other ilah besides Allah? How can there be other ilah besides Allah? So the idea that Allah exists or Allah is real, that is actually something Allah gave the human being to reach. Every human being, doesn't matter what culture, what society, what background, what time, what century they come from, every one of them can reach Allah using the heart and mind that Allah has given them if they truly contemplate the skies and the earth. That's, that's given. Then on top of that, now that I've reached that there is a God, I, I know there is. I know this didn't happen by accident. My favorite passage on this is in Ali Imran. Incredible. In the creation of the skies and the earth and the conflict of night and day, there are enough signs for people who truly have sound minds. Now they're remembering Allah. They're like thinking about this, this being. They're remembering Him night and day. And they're thinking about the skies and the earth and they're realizing, You didn't create this without purpose. There's got to be a reason. Everything seems to have a purpose. There's no way I'm purposeless. There's no way there's no moral code. There's no way there's no such thing as right or wrong. Do whatever you feel. There's no way everything is relative. That cannot be. I cannot accept it. But I cannot figure it out on my own either. I have some sense of it. But I can't figure out the whole thing. I need something more. So they turn to Allah and they, they, um, they, they, when they hear a caller calling to Iman, when they hear a messenger, half the conclusions were already reached. It's the other half that is coming from a messenger. You understand? The, the Quran is the, the, the religion of Ibrahim salam is not, you know, that the the the, the Quran is gonna come and give you from zero to hundred. No, the zero to fifty you reached on your own. The Quran came in Nurun ala nur. It's light on top of that light. It's that first light that's being talked about here. How did Ibrahim salam reach the conclusion that there can only be one? And the, all of these false gods are wrong. That's كَذَلِكَ نُرِي إِبْرَاهِيمَ مَلَكُوتَ السَّمَوَاتِ وَالْأَرْضِ وَلِيَكُونَ مِنَ الْمُوْقِنِينَ So he could be absolutely, from those who are absolutely convinced. That's the argument that's being made here. And then once he was convinced, he wanted to show everybody else how this works. He wanted to show everybody, 
not to look at uh, the the you know the not to look at the sun and then turn it into a god. Then look at the moon, how amazing it is, turn that into a god. Then look at a mountain, turn that into a god. You know, turn amazing tree, turn it into a god. Isn't that what happened in in, in history? There were so many gods or trees, moons, stars, etc., etc. Well, you know what he's saying. He's saying, I want you to see the sun and I want you to think of the source code behind it, and the moon and what's behind it, and the tree and that's way. And they seem all to be working in harmony with each other. So there must be they must be they all different creatures, creations, but they must go back to one harmonious source. He's looking at the source code. Last thing I share with you for, for today. I know I said we're going to go long PM. Next week I'll mentally, you'll be better mentally prepared. We'll do one session today and have some rakat. Last thing I'll share with you today is uh, art. Art in, in the different societies in the world is an expression of their worldview. So art tells you a lot about a society. It tells you a lot about co- historically, right? And you know, there are societies in the world when you look at their classical art, you know what they are? It's like a mountain and a house, a river. Right? This is a portrait of a scene. Or they'll draw portraits of people. right? Or they'll draw portraits of the, of the sky, the sun rising, you know, beautiful landscapes. You know what those images are? They're images, the world as I see it. That's the world as I see it. right? If you, if you look at Muslim art history, like what were Muslims drawing? Because Muslims are also an advanced civilization. And you'll notice most of our art has to do with symmetry. Arches, geometric shapes, patterns, right? We're not drawing mountains and birds. We're not drawing rivers. You know, we're drawing these abstract shapes. You know what that tells you? The way they see the world is what you see is what you get. And the way a Muslim sees the world, they see the source code behind all of existence. Because you see the sky, we see an entire geometric system behind the sky, behind the tree. We see order and harmony and how things connect, how things come together. SubhanAllah. Like yeah, even our worldview, you know, even our calligraphy was all about exact, you know, shapes and angles and lines, you know. Look at look at the art inside of our masajid. Compare the arts inside art inside churches versus art inside masajid. Right? You'll just see a difference. You'll just see that our our expression was inspired by the, the worldview, the, the I would call it the Ibrahimi worldview, the Malakut as Samawati what is behind the visible. That's what Allah showed him. That's what he was able to see. And once you're able to see that, the stuff you see no longer dazzles you, no longer scares you, no longer intimidates you. It loses its power because you know its power only came from the source. And you're connected to the source. It's incredible. May Allah Azza wa instill in us the conviction of Ibrahim and make us a people. Like, like what Allah wants us to be, Millata Abikum Ibrahim, who was Samakum Muslimin. So, with that, inshallah, I'll conclude for the evening. Barakallahu li walakum fil Quran al Hakim, wa nafani wa iyakum al Ayati wa dhikri al Hakim. Assalamu alaikum wa rahmatullahi ta'ala wa barakatuh. Yeah, today I'll go easy, especially.